Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins. I'm going to get right to an important announcement that we have about the Mandarin Blueprint Method course. If you are on the course, uh, please pay close attention to this. By the way, I'm recording this on November 17th. Might come out a few days uh, later in terms of the YouTube video, and it'll be about a week later in terms of the podcast. So depending on what you're listening to this to, if you're listening to it in the future, you can go ahead and look at the timestamps below and skip ahead. But if you're on the course now and you are uh, currently in the foundation course, there's a change that's coming that's very important, and I want to make sure that you all are aware it's coming and are all prepared for it. So the change is that the foundation course is going to be split into five separate courses, essentially the five phases that we cover in the course. Phase one, characters and components. Phase two, vocabulary. Phase three, sentences and simple grammar. Phase four, simple graded readers, uh, dialogues, opinions, and stories. And then phase five, longer graded readers. And that, of course, folds into the intermediate course. Now, the intermediate course for now is not going to have any major changes, but uh, the first five phases were originally one big course called the Mandarin Blueprint Foundation course. They are going to become five separate courses. Now, why have we done this? Well, uh, because we're going to sell these courses separately as an option. Now, if you are already on a subscription, if you're already a lifetime member, then you don't have to change anything. In, in fact, lifetime members definitely don't have to change anything. You've already purchase the course for life. Um, but for those of you on a monthly subscription or an annual subscription, you're not obligated at all to change your subscription. It's just a matter of the fact that we're going to grant you access to these five courses, and we encourage you not to continue to use the foundation course. The foundation course, we're going to turn off the comments. We're no longer going to be updating it. It's going to become a legacy course. Now, we're going to keep it there because um, if you already, if you want to like save your progress or something on that, you can do that. But it's the exact same content in the phases one, two, three, four, and five courses except for a couple of updates that we're doing, and it's going to be continuously updated and comments will be turned on. So it's very important that you switch over. I mean, obviously, we're not going to force you to switch over, but we're going to say uh, that it's highly encouraged for you to do so. Now, we haven't done this yet. We're going to make a few announcements on the course explaining what the situation is. And uh, I want to first explain to you what the new changes are to the course. One. The uh, phase two course is going to have improved vocabulary mnemonics lessons, which then will fold into phases three, four, and five. So previously, we had sort of said, okay, you've unlocked a vocab word, and here are some sentences with it. And, you know, the step of thinking of a living link to the vocab board was relatively weak. We just sort of said, oh, add an image to your vocab cards and go from there. What we've done is we've put all of the sentences now in the second half of each level, starting from level thir uh, 13 in phase three, and we've added a lesson called vocab unlocked from character. So, for example, vocab unlocked from men is men call, right? So that's the two-character word that unlocks when you learn the character men. And so in that lesson, what we're going to encourage you to do is think of a living link in terms of images, sound mnemonics, um, in terms of uh, how the characters relate to each other, to therefore help you remember the character, make an association with the character uh, much more quickly. And 
one of the ways that we did this was by filling out this big shared Google Sheet. It's now closed, and we want to say thank you to all the people who helped come up with these great associations to all these different words. Um, and we're still uh, working on that currently, but it's going to be uh, an, a major improvement when we make this change. So how the course will actually be structured is in the first half of, the, of a level, starting from level 13, phase 3. The first half will just be Henze and Words. And so the Henze and Words section will, when you get to a vocab unlocked lesson, it doesn't have any sentences. It just prompts you to look at the word, look at its usages, think, and it gives you mnemonic suggestions. It gives you image search suggestions on Google. Uh, it gives you um, ways to think about how the characters are relating to each other. And this will help you get a better grasp of the word at the word level, and you'll spend a little bit of time getting to know the word. Then you're, of course, going to see it in your flashcards a few times, and then by the time you get to the second half of the level, all of the characters and all of the words that you've seen in the level will uh, already have been in your flashcard review queue a few times, which means that you're going to have a better grasp of them by the time you see them in the context of sentences. This will make the sentences much easier, and it will also make it more fun. Uh, it'll make you remember the words for longer uh, before you see them in context, which means that you'll therefore, when, when you get to the context, you're not going to have that situation of like, oh, yeah, I did learn this word, you know, maybe 20 minutes ago, but I've already forgotten it because, um, you know, it was just so recent. But if you've learned the word a few days ago and you've already seen it in your flashcard a few times, then you're definitely going to remember it. And that means that the sentences will be far easier from that perspective. So those are the major changes that are coming. So as a reminder, if you're on the foundation course, we're going to send out an announcement. We're going to grant you the offers of the phases one, two, three, four, and five courses. After we do so, we highly recommend that you stop using the foundation course, figure out what lesson you were in the foundation course. Just, you know, just look at the level and what phase it is. Uh, so phase one is levels one through six. Phase two is levels seven through 12. Phase three is levels 13 through 20. Phase four is levels 21 through 30. And phase five is 31 through 36. So Whatever level you're in now, you can find that phase course and that level. So it's fairly easy to figure out where you were uh, to navigate. And then pick up from there. And then you'll have the new uh, types of lessons in there for the vocab mnemonics. And this will make it all better. And, of course, the foundation course will no longer have comments. We'll no longer be updating it with videos. We'll no longer be updating it with uh, any information other than uh you know, we're just going to keep it there in case you didn't get the memo. But I really want to get this out there that this is a change we're making. Now, next, in relation to this, of course, we're, I mentioned that we're going to be selling these courses separately. So here's how it works. And again, just to clarify, I want this to be super, super clear. If you already have a subscription, you can stay on your current subscription. You'll be grandfathered in. It's no problem. Uh, whatever that you're paying per month, per year, it's fine. You can stay on that plan so long as you don't cancel. Now, obviously, if you cancel then and you restart it again, then that's a different issue. But you can stay on whatever plan if you want. Now, you can also choose to stop, being, uh, stop having a subscription and purchase courses one uh, purchase courses piecemeal so the way that we're doing it is that phase one and pronunciation mastery will be selling for lifetime access for 29 dollars 
Then phase two will be selling for $99. Phase three, $199. Phase four and phase five will be $249 each. And the intermediate course will be $399. Now, as you can imagine, if you buy more than one course at once in a bundle, we'll provide discounts for that. So if you buy any two courses, you get 20% off the price if you had bought them individually. If you buy three courses, it's 35% off the price if you bought them individually. If you buy four courses, that's 40% off. Five courses, 45% off. And if you buy all six courses, the full bundle, and you get pronunciation mastery for free in that, that um, ends up being 50% off the price of what they would be if you bought them all individually. And it's about to be Black Friday. So we're going to run a Black Friday sale, which is going to be a 33% off uh, of everything for uh, the days after Black Friday. And so if you consider, so like even though, say for example, the full bundle, that's 50% off of what you bought them piecemeal, it'll be another 33% off of that price. So um, that means that, you know, it's quite a good deal. So if you want to take get an opportunity to have what our course is offering currently for life, then, um, you know, that's an option. Now, just to be clear, again, for those of you on lifetime access, you don't need to worry about this. You, you were lucky, you were an early adopter. What I'm saying here is that you can buy what we currently have for life uh, for this um, discounted price, but it won't be the same as lifetime access to all of our products. People who are already on lifetime access, you know, consider yourself somebody who, because you were an early adopter, you got to take advantage of a good deal. Um, but for the people who would be buying this offer, you're going to get all of the courses that we have currently, but you wouldn't get the any future courses. Like, that would be a separate deal. Now, we also will be offering a monthly subscription, but to be honest, any of you who are already on a monthly subscription, you wouldn't do this because it's more expensive. Um, the monthly subscription is going to go to $50 a month because we actually... We, we encourage people to buy these, you know, courses for life, you know, just buy phase one for life. So you have it, you know, that, that way there's no pressure to get started on it. Obviously, once you get started on it, I recommend doing it every day. But the point being that like, you should really uh, buy these for life so that you don't have to think about the, um, you know, monthly payment that's coming out, especially in times of um, pandemic, you know, it's like, if you have the money and you can spend it now to purchase it for life, then you can do it when you are in a situation where it's possible. And then later, if money gets tight, you don't have a monthly subscription that's like, you know, consistently coming out. So that's the update. And again, we'll make like probably four or five announcements on the course before this happens because we want to just make sure that everybody is aware of what's going on there. So that's the update about the course the technical side of it that we're going to switch from the foundation course to these five phase courses and also the offers that we'll be making. And just as a reminder, like I'll just go through the offers again. We sell each course individually phase one with pronunciation mastery included for $29 phase two for $99 phase three for $199 phase four and five two forty nine dollars each and then the intermediate course for $399 and then we have progressive discounts the more courses you buy at once. So any uh, two courses. And I mean, oh, I meant I forgot to mention, you can't buy like phase two and phase five. They have to be together because, you know, it's a linear course, as you all know. So if it's going to be, 
you know, you can buy phases one and two if you want. You can buy phases one, two, three, four. Or if you've already bought phase one, you can buy phases two through five or something. But the point being that you should not purchase a phase unless you've already done the previous phases. So don't just buy phase three. It wouldn't make sense. So, um, all right. That's the explanation there. And of course, we're going to have a Black Friday sale coming up. So, uh, you know, if you're hearing about this and you're interested, take advantage of the, of the Black Friday sale so that you get uh, the extra discount. So, as many of you know, the Mandarin Blueprint podcast covers the comments and emails that came in from people asking questions about the course. So, for the first part of the podcast, we focus on the questions that are things like study habits or a specific grammar question or a question about how the method works. And we focus on those because regardless of whether you're on the course or not, you'll probably find these very interesting. And then at the end of the podcast, we go through the full mnemonic scenes that are based on the Hanzi movie method, which if you are new to the podcast, the Hanzi movie method is our patent pending method for remembering a Chinese character very quickly. You can remember everything about it. It's pronunciation, it's tone, it's meaning, it's stroke order and how to write it, and therefore it's character components. So all of those can be done in one sort of mnemonic system, and you come up with uh, a person in a place using objects and interacting with those objects to make the meaning of the character, and it's incredibly effective. Everyone loves it. It's got this it's just got rave reviews in terms of how quickly it helps you remember a Chinese character. And if you can remember Chinese characters quickly, that means that you've gotten through the hardest part of the language because Chinese grammar is easy peasy. So let's get into the uh, comments and emails that are about grammar questions, study habits, and the like. And then at the end, we'll get into those mnemonic scene shares. So first, we have an email from William Edmedes. William is just a longtime uh, member of the course. He's awesome. And uh, he's, I think he's already finished the entire intermediate course. So I think he's just sort of like going through and, you know, asking some questions that are more advanced. So here's his question. Is yo more of a quick way of saying huh? I ask because I often see yo in situations where, uh, at, like when you see apostrophe n, like fish and chips. So would, would that be a suitable translation in English rather than and? So for example... 青岛的大虾,既便宜又好吃。Qingdao's prawns are cheap and tasty, as opposed to 便宜和好吃,cheap and tasty. 如果你吃水果,又菜,你会长大强大又好看。If you eat fruits and veggies, you will grow up strong and good-looking, as opposed to 水果和菜. Uh, fruits and veggies, and 强大和好看, strong and good looking. I'm not sure if I'm making sense, but let me know your thoughts. So no, uh, it does not work this way. So what you were missing there, William, is that the sentence 青岛的大虾既便宜又好吃, this is a set structure in Chinese where you put 即 plus adjective and then 又 plus adjective to say that these two adjectives both apply to the subject, which in this case is the prawns of Qingdao, right? So the Qingdao, the Dasha, there's your subject. So that means Pianyi and Haochi both apply to the prawns, cheap and tasty. So in your question, you were not seeing Qi as being related to Yo, but they are. Now, part of this is that it can also be a double Yo. So it could also be. 青岛的大虾又便宜又好吃, 
And the only real difference between them is that ji pian yi yo hao chi would be a little bit more formal, a little bit more written. But they're effectively the same. Um, you know, I've heard some people argue that if you use ji and yo, you're saying that the first adjective is slightly more important, but I mean, that's debatable. You know, why should cheap be more important than uh, delicious? I mean, maybe because the person said that they're, uh, you know, they're low on cash at the moment. And so that's why you put pianyi first. But still, they're essentially the same. So the structure, again, is subject and then ti plus adjective, yo plus adjective means both those adjectives apply to the subject. And then it could also be yo plus adjective, yo plus adjective. So it's that simple. Um, you can't replace it with he because he connects nouns. It doesn't connect adjectives. So uh, hopefully that clears that up. John Grist on new vocabulary unlocked for tamen. And this is the ta that is for it, not he or she. In Chinese, ta is the only pronoun for he, she, and it. Now the written... Uh, character is different for each one, but the pronunciation is all ta. So the idea in Chinese of like having a, you know, um, a specific gendered pronoun is irrelevant in the spoken language. You know, in, in America right now, some people are making sure that they t tell people what their pronoun is. This actually wouldn't be an issue in Chinese. Now, technically, uh, you have the written characters that are slightly different, but obviously you don't see writing when somebody's talking to you. Everybody, when you're referring to them as a pronoun, is just Ta, including animals and stuff. You know, like you can call a little uh, kitten an animal. So anyway, so here's his question. He says, should xiao mao translate as kittens? And this is an interesting question, right? Because xiao means small, mao means cat. So xiao mao, wouldn't that mean kittens? And the answer is uh, sometimes and usually not, <laughs> which is interesting. So xiao, remember that xiao is also a prefix. So Chinese has um, a set number of prefixes. I, th I believe there are seven or eight. Um, and it has also two infixes, which are du and bu. And it has uh, several suffixes that are, you know, too many to mention in like one lesson. But the xiao prefix is essentially a term of endearment, right? So xiao mao, first of all, they, if you want to take it literally as small, even a grown cat is small compared to a human, but it's mostly about endear they're endearing to us. We like cats. They're, they feel like our friends. So regardless of whether it's an adult cat or a little cat, we'll say xiao mao. I mean, you can also just say mao, but if you say xiao mao, you're indicating the affection that you feel for it. So what you'll often say with kittens is you'll say xiao mao mi, xiao mao mi, right? So mao mi is like the word for a little kitten. And I mean, there's... um. Uh, the, the technical vet, veterinary term would probably be Mao Zai, uh, the character Zai, which is a very advanced character. You don't see it very much in day-to-day -day life, but that indicates the progeny of uh, an animal. So, you know, Ma Zai is a uh, foal or a little horse or, you know, um, a... Uh, Shanyang uh, Zai is a little goat, a baby goat, right? Like there's just all these um, different, if you have Zai after it, that is the veterinary technical term. But then if you're just going to be colloquial about it, you'll just say Xiao Mao Mi, Xiao Mao Mi. And so that is a kitten. If you say Mao Mi, right? Now, um, Xiao Mao might be a kitten, but, you know, I have two cats. One's an adult, one's still 
considered a kitten. It's like eight months old. And uh, I would call both of them a Xiao Mao uh, or just a Mao. By the way, isn't Mao such a better word for that animal than cat? <laughs> so anyway, uh, that's the answer to that. Remember that Xiao can also be a prefix. It's not only meaning uh, little or small. Alex Sumray on Vocab Unlocked from Gui. I thought I was getting better at the old du, but it stumped me in the following. Alright, so this sentence, he also has a few uh, more comments, but let's stick with just um, figuring out what is the du doing in this sentence. So this is the shi du construction. So shi du emphasizes some kind of a detail. So shi wu. Shi wu, so things basically, like uh, objects or things. This is a very philosophical statement here. Shi wu zong. So zong is an ad, ad, adverb, sorry. Zong is an adverb saying always is. So it's is or always is. So zong shi. Bianhua fa jian de. So things are always in a, de, in a state of developing change, right? So fa jian means to develop. Bianhua, change develop. So shi bianhua fa jian de. So in, in a process of changing development. So everything is in a process of changing development. All things are. We need to break the conventions. Changui is the, Chang is uh, ordinary and Gui is like rules. So the ordinary rules. So the ordinary conventions, right? And we have to da po. We have to break them. So This is kind of like the constant human struggle. Like, do we keep with tradition or do we uh, accept that the world is changing and we need to da po changui. And so this person's arguing it's because everything is changing. All things are changing. It's the detail that they're trying to emphasize is bian hua fa jian. Shi wu zong shi bian hua fa jian de. So that shi de construction emphasizes that detail of bian hua fa jian. So hopefully that clears that up. Uh, now, Let's continue with something that Alex said because he is actually at character 1000. Gui is character 1000. He says, anyway, 1000 is quite remarkable. All credit to Luke and Phil for such an amazing course. It's funny, I had to leave China early due to you know what, but I doubt I would ever have found the blueprint and got to 1000 so soon without it. If there's any silver lining for me this year, it's this. So, you know, I just want to stop here and comment that imagine it's 2025. And we're looking back at 2020. You know, it's going to be, we're going to think of it like it was a war story time. Like all the things that have happened to us this year, we've as a planet had to go through uh, a major change. You know, we've had to da po changui. Is that right? You know, it's like we've had to change the way that we live because of this new threat. And I'm sure by 2025, things will be back to normal, pandemics end. And so, you know, we're going to look back at this time and it's going to be, you know, it's weird. We're probably going to look back at it somewhat fondly. We're also going to look back at it with pain. We're going to look back at it with this sense of what did I do during the pandemic? And Alex, you're going to get to say, I learned Mandarin. Or, you know, I learned the ukulele. Okay, fine. Or you did you did something with the time when you, things had to change. There's always a yin to the yang, right? So chaos and darkness and yin came in 2020. 
But there is no darkness without light because without the contrast, you can't determine that it's dark. And so, yeah, you can't go to work. You can't uh, see your friends as easily. You can't do X, Y, or Z. But all of those things had an opportunity cost. So if you go to a restaurant and have dinner, right, that's not time that you're spending studying something new, right? And it, there's no judgment about it. Everything needs to be put into balance in some way. We have to, you know, have relationships. We have to uh, learn new things. We have to do our jobs. And these are all things that have some kind of a balance. And we had some kind of a homeostasis before the pandemic. And then the pandemic said, you can't spend as much time on this set of, set of things. And so what that does, though, is it opens up the opportunity for the things, set of things that you can do, like study Mandarin, have opened up. And so, Alex, kudos to you for taking advantage of this time and uh, learning something amazing. You've learned a thousand Chinese characters and way more than that because you now know so many sentences and you know how these words work. It's really incredible. Now, let's finish up here. He says, I've never known such a complete and wonderful course. Even if there isn't a global lockdown forcing you in for half the year when you start and it takes you a year or two or beyond, with the right tools and a bit of motivation, 1,000 scribbles on a page will soon become legible words, which will in turn become legible stories and ultimately access to a billion new friends. Thanks again and all the best to all those zooming towards the end of the intermediate and indeed beyond. Well, you're making my heart sing there, Alex, and uh, I uh, am so happy for you. Uh, you've improved yourself, and anybody who has gone as far as you have has already made an incredible achievement. Uh, but, you know, of course, just keep it up. Keep that 日常学习. just means daily study. Just keep it up. It just needs to be like brushing your teeth. And as we know... There is no pleasure without suffering. There is no, you know, uh, pain without, I, it's better to think of it as like, there's no pain without pleasure. There's no suffering without satisfaction. And so the, the double P and the double S. So you can't have pain without pleasure. So if you're finding it and you can't have suffering without satisfaction, and what's weird is that you could think of the study time as the suffering time because you're working your brain, right? But because you know that what you're doing is grinding out these new neural pathways and making yourself a more skilled person who's better able to, uh, you know, contend with the world. It means that you can actually find the satisfaction inside the suffering. You know, uh, I think about this a lot when I'm at, you know, I, I do a, a 10 minute treadmill warm up just to get sweaty before doing a workout. And, you know, usually by minute eight or nine, you know, I'm going pretty fast and it's hard, right? Like, cause I've built up for the first eight minutes so that I can start to pretty much be sprinting for the last two minutes. And it's weird because it's painful, obviously, you know, but there's this weird pleasure that's in it that is partially like a real sensation underneath the pain, but there's also a satisfaction that comes from knowing that like, even if I did nothing else today for my body, I've at least put myself here. I've at least put myself in the place where I'm so uncomfortable that I must be improving, right? Because that's what discomfort indicates. It indicates that you're getting stronger. And so just well done, Alex. I'm very proud of you. Uh, that's ridiculous to say, you know, but I just, uh, I am. I'm proud of you. William Young on 
Introduction and pronunciation mastery. I've gone through most of the hard grind as a beginner and am now probably an intermediate. Can I jump into the past, the beginning stage and save some time? Yes, so I wrote an article that I already sent to William uh, called uh, Intermediate Students, How to Handle the Mandarin Blueprint Method. And just as a brief summary of what this is about, one, I would still do pronunciation mastery because I've never met any uh, person learning Chinese that couldn't stand to improve their pronunciation. You know, uh, Luke is the best teacher of pronunciation I've ever seen. Uh, he focused on pronunciation right at the beginning. Uh, so that means that it was his main, he did the right thing. You know, I started with characters. I was kind of like, you know, I'm more shy. I don't really like to, uh, you know, make conversation with people right off the bat. You know, I've worked on getting over that, but like, that's not my natural inclination. So I was like, oh, I'll learn characters. I can sit in a room and, you know, learn characters. And that was a good choice, but I should have focused on pronunciation at the beginning. And Luke did. Luke was actually the opposite. He thought, oh, I don't need to worry about characters, but I know that I should get my pronunciation uh, really good. And so because he focused on that from the beginning and then researched how to explain it, he made the pronunciation course so uh, comprehensive that when I was editing it, I learned a bunch of stuff and that was after having already studied Chinese for at the time, I think it was like four years. And so listen, nobody can't stand to improve their pronunciation. The pronunciation course is only about um, eight hours long. You could also skip the bonus videos, which would make it only six hours long. So it's worth the time to really go in and make sure your pronunciation is on point. So that's the first thing I would say. Now, the next thing I would say is that you should still go through the course but you just go through uh, and you skip the characters that you're sure you already know. So pick a prop lessons, casting call lessons, and set the scene lessons. You should not skip because they are directly related to our uh, patent pending mnemonic system. So if you want to learn characters quickly with our system, there's no way to avoid having to learn how the system works. So the set the scene uh, videos, there's 13 sets that represent pinion finals and you must choose them so places you've lived places you've worked your gym your restaurant that you like to go to uh your childhood home these different places your schools that's a good one these um different places you assign to a pinion final and then the casting call lessons there's 55 of those and they're spread off spread throughout the course most of them are towards the beginning but they're actually the final casting call lesson isn't until level 50 because just like everything some pronunciations get used all the time and some get used very seldom so uh i believe it's uh pu that character or that initial doesn't get used until level 50 so um but still those casting call lessons you can't uh skip those because you need to assign a person to represent the pinion initial. And then the pick prop lessons are assigning an object to represent the character component. And character components get used all the time, so you need to pick an object to represent them. Now, once you've picked objects and, and uh, um, people and places to represent your uh, character components, pinion initials, and pinion finals respectively, then that means that you can um, look at the the lessons that teach an individual character and just ask yourself, do I already know this character all around? Do I know generally what it means? Do I know what the character components are? Could I write it? And do I know the pinion, including the tone? 
Now, if any of these you don't know, then use the Hansen movie method. It only takes 30 seconds to a minute anyway, so you might as well just do it and make the flashcard. However, if you can say, I definitely know this character, no doubt about it, it's wool. It's third tone, it means I, uh, and I know how to write it, then cool, move on, don't waste your time. And then if you go through the course that way, eventually you'll reach the part of the course where there's a lot of characters you don't know, and then of course there's unlocked words, there's sentences, the sentences, you can always get more sentences. Um, so that's kind of generally how you should approach it. The And so the make a movie lessons and the new vocab unlocked lessons or the vocab unlocked from lessons and the vocab and context lessons, you can judge yourself, but never skip the pick a prop lessons, the casting call lessons and the set the scene lessons, because those are directly related to the mnemonic system. So that's the answer for you, William. I hope that that is helpful for you moving forward. Kim Krings on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Fenkai. Does this only relate to relationships and people, or could this refer to the separation of physical parts? It can refer to the separation of physical parts. I remember that my uh, Annie, uh, the female voice on all of our Anki cards, she originally was my teacher at uh, Sichuan University, and that's how I met her for the first time. And you know, she's done so much to contribute to the Mandarin Blooper Method course. We're very grateful to have her. And she was um, wearing this shirt where for some reason the collar like was it was able to separate from the the rest of the shirt so like the shirt was up here and there was like a collar but it had actually was separate and i just kind of like looked at it and was like what happened and she was like oh feng kaila <laughs> and i was just like oh okay so that was a good moment for me to remember okay feng kai is just literally divide and separate you know, those are the two, two, what the two characters mean there. You know, kai can mean open, but it can also mean spread away. Uh, and so, you know, which is also kind of a way to conceptualize open. You open things out into the world. And so fun means to divide. So fun kai means they're divided and separated. So um, it can relate to people, sure. Like, you know, we were together at Raholm and fun kai but when it comes to relationships, if you're talking about two people separating in a relationship, you could say fen kai, but if you want to be even clearer, you say fen shou. So shou, fen shou. So you imagine a boyfriend and girlfriend hold hands, and then if they break up, oh, fen shou, right? So that's the word that is a little bit more specific to relationships, uh, if you want to think of it that way. Nice. Oscar Hagland on time to get real about sentences. So this is an important lesson because it's the first lesson where we take the characters and words you learned in phases one and two and make sentences out of them. And that's when you start actually getting comprehensible input and uh, reading and therefore starting the acquisition journey. So Oscar says, should I be reading the sentences in my head in Chinese or in my native language until I understand it? Reading it out internally in Chinese with correct tones takes significantly longer, but has the added benefit of reinforces the pronunciation and not just the comprehension. So the answer is a bit of both. I mean, I, I, I think that you don't necessarily need to audiate in your native language. I mean, if you want to think about your native language and how it translates to your native language, I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily, but you can, you know, reading doesn't require you to move your mouth, obviously. So you can just look at it and get the, get a sense of how the sentence works um, without speaking if you want. But sometimes, you know, you, in the Anki card, we have native audio from both male and female. So you should consider repeating after them and then maybe even, you know, hitting the replay button and saying it at the exact same time that they say it. Uh, so 
the point being that, um, you know, you can, by doing that, you can uh, mix in speed reading with actually pronouncing like a native. That's like shadowing at the sentence level. So when you're saying it at the same time they are, you're shadowing them, which means that you're learning how to speak just like a native. Now, obviously that's time intensive and it's brain intensive. So you can't do that all the time because it would take too long. So some, and also sometimes you want to speed read. Sometimes you want to be get, you want to be able to get faster and faster at the reading process. So uh, reading it out internally in Chinese with correct tones takes significantly longer. This is also, you know, remember that you're at the very beginning of this. You're at the point where it is the hardest it's ever going to be to read sentences because you're just starting. And so it's a natural feeling. It's like, I know it like night follows day that when you start a new type of project, like now I'm going to read Chinese sentences after before I was just focused on Chinese characters and Chinese words. Now I'm going to start reading Chinese sentences. Guaranteed, towards the beginning, you're going to have a feeling of like, ooh, this is hard, right? Can I do this? Ugh. Is it always going to be this hard? Of course not. Of course it's not always going to be this hard because you're gaining a meta skill while you're doing this. And as you continue to read sentences a lot, you're going to be kind of, um, you know, breaking down more than one barrier. It's not just about this sentence. It's about recognizing that a sentence can be formed in this way. And then eventually you're going to see another sentence that is formed in that same way. Okay, that was a little bit easier than the first time. Okay, oh, I've seen another sentence that's formed in that way. Oh, now that's even a little bit easier. Now, you're not consciously necessarily aware that this is the third time I've seen this sentence structure, but by the time you've seen a sentence structure, say, about 10 times, then it gets really easy to recognize, okay, there's the structure. Now, what are the words in it, right? And so at the very beginning, you're trying to do all of that at once. So that's a lot to do. And as a result, you know, it's going to be, a, you know, more of a grind than it will be even a few lessons later. So what I would also suggest, and maybe by now you've already gotten this feeling, is that while you should mix reading it out loud, reading it silently, and, you know, find your balance of those two, bear in mind that it will get faster in on all counts simply through practice. You're, it's not going to remain as hard as it is now. I mean, if it did, then why learn anything? It's just, it's always going to be hard, this hard, you know, so... My suggestion would be sometimes read it silently in your head, sometimes audiate it, sometimes uh, read it out loud and shadow the um, native speakers. And you know, even when you're doing your flashcards, sometimes don't bother to listen to the audio, just you know, run through the flashcards quickly so that you can get better at quickly recognizing things and, and speed reading. And then sometimes take your time. You know, take your time and, and really enunciate just like they are and listen to them. And, you know, if you want, uh, Oscar, you could delete in Anki the uh, female voice so you can just have the male voice, which means you won't have to wait for Annie to say what she's going to say before you hear Jerry's voice, which is probably closer to your vocal range. So you can do that as well. So those are my suggestions for you, Oscar. I hope that that is helpful. Next, we have a question from George Lohrer on Make a Movie for way maybe i misunderstand it but i've chosen the childhood set not the ei set right so this is related to that pinion oddity the source of this issue comes from pinion being a little weird so um pinion was devised by a committee over a three-year period and i think they released it in 1953 uh it is not perfect there's a few things about pinion that you know i, I wish i could have 
you know, as a native English speaker, been like, hey, guys, don't do this. But um, still, though, it's it's an accomplishment that they did it. And so the any of the U-E-I, any of these finals, the E drops if you add a consonant in front. So if you don't add a consonant, then the U changes to a W just for uh, spelling, and it's pronounced Wei, Wei. So Wei Shema the Wei is W E I. It's actually pronounced U E I. Now, as soon as you add something in front of it, like S, Sui, you'll notice it's still Wei. It's still pronounced that same way. You just add an S, Sui. And by adding that S, you drop the E in the pinyin spelling. It's a weird oddity about pinyin that they do this. It's a. Uh, so it should be spelled S-U-E-I. It's a shame that they didn't do that. I don't know why, but they just dropped the E. So I guess they just wanted it to be a little easier to read, but it, it, I mean, a little easier to write or something. Um, but the point is, it is actually U-E-I, and therefore that's why we put it in the E-I set. So Su Superman, it's a fictional character. If it's S-U, so you can imagine Superman uh, in your E-I set. A, Sway. So that's why it is that way. This also happens with two other finals. One of them is finals like Jiu or Dio, which is the female actor. So say, for example, Jiu, this is J-I, so Jennifer Aniston, in your O-U set. So even though Jiu is spelled J-I-U, it's the same situation. It's E-O-U-Yo-Jiu. And so that O-U, the O drops. So it's the same thing as Sway, where the uh, second to last letter drops. And then the other one is um, the other one that I'm not thinking of just at the moment. We've got Sway, Jiu, and uh, let's see. It's not it's not Y. It's not uh, – I just can't, I can't think of it off the top of my head right now. But um, it's uh, – you know, one of the other ones does that as well. And so the point being that the, when that happens, we indicate it. And, you know, you can trust us. We – made sure that we put the right set for each one. So yeah, it's basically a hands of movie method. Uh, being weird because pinyin is weird. Chris Lewis on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Zhongshi. I'd love to see your first recommendation for how to memorize these words like shuming for shuming, which is uh, a suggestion we made before. Does anyone have a suggestion? It's so timely that you've asked this, Chris, because as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, we're about to transition to a new version of the course. And one of the things we're doing in this transition is making new vocabulary living links for every compound word in the course. So we're giving image searches. We're giving uh, sound mnemonics, if possible. Like, not every Chinese word sounds like an English word. So you can't always do that. Like, even shuoming, we were like, uh, it sort of sounds like a Scottish accent saying swimming. Shrimming, shwoming, right? Like, it's like, okay, I can sort of see that. So sometimes they're a bit of a stretch. So sound mnemonics don't always work. But there's lots of different living links you can use. So, um, shi means always. So, always. Well, what things relate to always? Here's an example. I don't know if you've seen the movie, the Harry Potter series. But at the ver in the very last movie... Uh, I'm not going to give away the plot, but the character Snape says always in a very significant emotional moment. And that's like literally the only thing he says. And it's very actually loving and all that. And so 
you make that association in the moment. You maybe have a picture of, if you search Snape always in uh, Google image search, you're going to see loads of pictures come up. You set that as your picture. And then while you're learning Zhongshi, you have this emotional link to it. And you might think, well, Snape saying always doesn't make the sound Zhongshi. So how does that make me remember? It's because when you're, you have an emotional connection to something and you're learning something while you have that emotional connection, like buzzing in your brain where the electrical signals around that emotional connection are firing, then it's almost like you weld in the knowledge there because there's literal heat uh, on some, you know, very microscopic level happening between your neurons. And then you attach the Chinese to it and then you do it over SRS, which then causes you to recall that. And then you solidify the knowledge that way. Um, so, you know, always remember me, always and forever. Uh, you know, always be closing. That's a, that's a one from a Glengarry Glen Ross, right? You know, I can imagine that speech from Glengarry Glen Ross, always be closing, ABC, right? And so maybe that's your association. The point is, we have now we're going to be adding in all of these vocab living, living links lessons when we do the transition to the new courses. And so every vocab word is going to have that type of thing in it. It's a major improvement to the course. I'm really excited about it. And also people uh, in that Google sheet that I shared, it's no longer publicly available because we have to, at some point we have to cut it off and actually put it in the course. But uh, that Google sheet we offered a lot of people, made their contributions to it. So members of the course added their own mnemonics to it. And then Luke and I are filling out the rest of it that uh, didn't get finished. And it's great. It's so much good stuff. I'm really, it, it's better than I thought it was going to be. So I'm really excited about it, Chris. And uh, for everybody, you're gonna enjoy that a lot. It's gonna make remembering these characters way better. Next, we have a comment from Jason Pond on one of our grammar points, which is how does what adverbs of range. and. This is, uh, there's actually two comments he left here because he forgot something, so I'll just read both of them. And uh, yeah, let's just get into it. He says, love these as always, referring to the grammar points. If feedback is invited, I would suggest a supplement to these videos to assist for natural visual learners like myself and probably for lots of others in this course now who may have adapted to visual learning. It would be great to have a little one-page cheat sheet PDF page for each grammar point video that helps to illustratively lay out and summarize all the main points with the detailed explanations above. I think the main benefit from a visual perspective is just to lay out the main takeaways, i.e. adverbs before verbs, the different categories of grammar point, in this case, Luke explained there are a few words here that convey the general meaning of only, etc. Um, oops, another benefit I wanted to mention is that in addition to a visual summary, it also helps with a with quick reference. I could simply save them as photos on my phone and refer to them similar to how I have saved the Mandarin Blueprint pinion chart as a photo that I often refer to. These videos are great for periodic deep reviews, but sometimes when I want to quickly check and even pop quiz myself, these quick guides will be very helpful and accessible. So I have two thoughts about this. So the first one is that we have actually spent a fair bit of time thinking about a thing we want to add to the course that has proven to be more challenging than we thought it was going to be, but and therefore we've never released it. Um, but we may get back into it at some point, which is to have grammar flow charts where we have different types of subjects that can connect with different types of adverbs and verbs and whatever it is. So in this case, it would be adverbs of range. So we might show how you could use different adverbs of range with different verbs and all of that. But the problem is with these flow charts is that 
you know, many times they, uh, there's like, it's like there, for example, there's an adverb and verb pairing that happens a lot. And so you can use this adverb, but you can't use it with these three verbs. You can only use it with these two verbs. So if you're going to make a flow chart, you have to make it clear. Okay. You can't make, you can't travel from this adverb to that verb. You can only travel from this adverb to these two. And I mean, it still can work and we've still made a few that I think are good. Uh, but they're, you know, trickier than you might think they are. Like you think, oh, just make a flow chart and show how things connect. And then you go, oh, but I can't do that. And I can't do this. Um, so mm, this is getting complicated. And the next thing you know, it's like, well, this is convoluted now and it's not actually helpful because it's, it gets confusing. So we are thinking about this, but I can tell you just in the sake, for the sake of honesty, this is not the type of thing that's going to happen until we've written all the grammar articles that we have planned and even the grammar articles that we have planned are taking a backseat for the moment to the long-form stories that we're making in the intermediate course, to the uh, updates we're going to make to the vocab mnemonics based in phase two. We also want to make some adjustments to the sentences at the beginning of phase three to see if we can make them a little bit easier. Um, and so these things have to come first because, as you know, Jason, uh, grammar points don't teach you grammar. Comprehensible input uh, teaches you grammar. So... Our best path forward for helping people actually acquire Chinese is to make more content that's even more comprehensible. So uh, hence why in the intermediate course, it's important for us to add this long form content that's going to make the intermediate course way more valuable. And in the case of uh, the phase three sentences, if we can make them more comprehensible, that makes learning grammar much easier that way. So this is something that's in the pipeline, but it's going to be a few steps down the line. And then, you know, Eventually, I do plan on uh, writing, you know, probably hundreds more grammar articles, but I even think that that should maybe even come after the advanced course expansion because we want to get, again, comprehensible input first and then go back and say, okay, now let's have some lessons on uh, why this comprehensible input works because, as you know, uh, the grammar points can sort of help you a bit, but they don't... Um, actually get you to acquire the language they they give you your conscious mind your unconscious mind a little guidance like a flashlight but they do not cause you to actually acquire the language that requires comprehensible input now there's all so the other point i want to make about this is that you know when you're doing your anki cards you are reviewing these grammar points it's just not conscious you want it to be conscious, and I get it. You want to be like, I am practicing the adverbs of range right now. But you are going to practice, let's put it this way, you'll practice more adverbs of range if you took the time that was for review of adverbs of range and just kept reading. All that time combined would end up showing you a lot more adverbs of range along with all the other things that you happen to pick up during that period of time. So um, basically, on the one hand, I'm answering you to say that... Uh, this is something we've thought about, and it is something we will uh, consider doing, uh, but it's going to be a little bit down the road, and don't worry about it, it's going to be a little bit down the road, because like I say, you're actually going to be acquiring these things via your reading and your listening and your input. So, um, But thank you, though. I, I do appreciate that, because it tells me that our thought about these grammar flowcharts was you know, on the right track. Next, we have two questions from Jessica M., uh, the first is, you say, remember to note your scenes in your flashcards from the level 10 complete lesson. Should I be summarizing the scene in the notes sections of the flashcard? Uh, you can. Uh, there's, I'd say at the beginning, it's worth maybe writing it all out uh, and putting italics on the props and caps on the keyword and all that. 
to get a sense of the method. But by level 10, to be honest, I think that you're probably, you got the method down. Uh, so maybe what you could do is just put a couple of notes, just be like, um, you know, Arnold spanks the skunk. And then you'll, that'll just be enough to remind you of what happened in the scene. Cause it doesn't need to be, cause the point of visualization ultimately is to make it so you don't have to write things down. Like if you come up with a visualization within 15 seconds, that means that if you, if it's good enough and you can move on, then stopping to write it down, well, that's going to take a minute or two. And so multiply that by say 1500 characters in the intermediate, uh, course and below. And well, you've, you've got that much more time, that many more days, that many more weeks of time that you're spending because you're writing it down. When the visual memory techniques that we're teaching you and that you're continuing to get better at are so effective that you should be able to remember them without having to write it down. I mean, if you had to write down everything, that would be suggestive that memory, you can't remember anything without writing it down, which is ridiculous because obviously we remember things. The, the question with visualization is, why do we remember things? Can we figure out what it is about our memories that makes me recall, you know, the thing that happened when I was five? How can I remember anything from when I was five? I didn't write anything down from that time, you know? Now, maybe uh, my parents took a video or something, but I have memories of when I was five. And so how could that be if you had to write everything down? Well, it's because there are certain things that plug into our memory because our brain has evolved to go, that might be useful in the future. Remember that, right? And it's actually quite interesting. That's why um, I think, you know, psychotherapy can be very beneficial because you kind of go through your past and you figure out, oh, okay, here are the things that I remember, which means I need to learn something from it. And so, you know, it's good to analyze every now and then. But the point being that the goal in the long run is not to have to um, write these down, but in the beginning, as you're getting the hang of the method, it can be useful. So, if you want to do that, do it in the notes field of the Make a Movie flashcards. Now, uh, Jessica has a second question on level 10 complete. She says, you say that not only can you understand it from reading, but you can understand it from listening. This is not my experience learning Chinese. My listening comprehension didn't improve until I spent a lot of time working with a CI teacher, which as you know from my response led me to make the comment about this is not being for beginners until they had some TPRS instruction. The question is, from the point of view of anyone here that is actually starting from scratch, and this is your first language too, can you understand spoken Chinese consisting of the 80 characters you know? This is in level 10, which means that it's uh, about a little more than halfway through phase two. Uh, phase one is focused on characters and components. Phase two is focused on compound words and you continue to learn characters and components. So by the end of phase two, you know, 105 characters, and I think it's about 60 or 60 words or so. Now, nobody in phases one or two has acquired Chinese yet. <laughs> That's annoying, right? I mean, you've acquired a little bit because you've learned individual words and every now and then you can use individual words uh, directly in conversation. So technically you've learned, you've acquired a little bit, but naturally you must get comprehensible input to acquire a language. Uh, and to get comprehensible input, you must be able to put sentences together and for a language that say has an alphabet, I could start putting sentences together on day one. But with Chinese, um, you could learn some sentences top down if they're really, but it's really hard to learn sentences top down. Even if I wanted to say, where's the bathroom? Right, okay, fine. Uh, that's five characters. 
those five characters are made up of, I think I've calculated before, it's like 20 different components. Um, they all have pinyin pronunciations uh, that require you to know, uh, let's see, you need to know how to pronounce C, which is a tougher initial. You need to know how to pronounce E, T, and then you have SU, uh, which is uh, S-U-O, third tone. So we have fourth tone, third tone. Die, another fourth tone. You have to know how to pronounce Z and A-I. Um, Nali. Okay, that one, you have to know about the tone change rule and why it's why is it second tone, nah, and not third tone, nah, even though the character normally is third tone. You got to know that. And the point is, that's a lot to know, right? And so if you have to learn it top down, it's way too much unknown information. So you have to build bottom up with Chinese to be able to read sentences. So the first two phases are really just preparing you to acquire the language. Now, you might say, well, geez, I want to acquire the language on day one. And that is uh, a bit impractical with Chinese because of this non-phonetic uh, system of characters. So actually what Mandarin Blueprint, so like it's, it's worth like re um, having a bit of a paradigm shift about when you should actually start acquiring language with Mandarin Blueprint and recognize that if you can start reading comprehensible sentences when you're only at... 105 characters, that's actually really early in the process of learning Chinese because you can get through the first two phases in, a, in you know, a couple weeks if you do consistent study, uh, daily study. And so that means within a couple weeks, you're already reading Chinese sentences and starting your acquisition process. For many people with Chinese, um, that process of being able to read takes way longer because they don't have a good system for learning characters. So in phases one and two, you're building up your ability to read. And then by phase three, you have enough characters that you actually can make some sentences. And then so you make those sentences and uh, you start reading from there. And then over the course of phase three, all that stuff that you learned uh, in phases one and two gets seen in context and then you actually start to acquire it. So it's always in phase three when people start to say, ah, I recognized when I was watching Netflix, uh, a character on this Chinese subtitles, or I was watching a Chinese movie on Netflix, and I understood a couple of words that they were saying. That's when you start to get that because you're actually acquiring starting in phase three. I can answer the question here when you say, from the point of view of anyone here that is actually starting from scratch, can you understand spoken Chinese consisting of the 80 characters you know? I'm almost certain that they can't because they haven't reached the acquisition phase. Um, and again, it would be impossible or, or practically impossible for them to have done so by only 80 characters. They can start doing that at 105. And then I'd say probably by the end of phase three, you can understand a, a lot of, you know, what you've seen in terms of the characters and words up to, until that point, because you've actually seen them in the context of sentences and you've started to get how sentence structure works. Next, we have a question from William Beeman on Waigoren Kan Zhongguo. Thanks for this fun story. So Waigoren Kan Zhongguo is one of our short stories in phase four. It says, thanks for this fun story. There is a lot of everyday usage here, varying from textbook models that I wish I could internalize. I'd love to see a kind of list or guide of how phrases can be shortened without losing comprehension. On the order of meio changes to mei, but I was especially interested in the last sentence, does duo in this sentence mean roughly so or really? As that would be so really uninteresting. So let's address the first part of the uh, comment here. So 
making a list of how phrases can be shortened without losing comprehension is actually a lot, a, a taller order than you might think. So, you know, you might think that it's just a list. You could you can abbreviate this, you can't abbreviate that. But the problem is that you can abbreviate things sometimes because you've established enough context that uh, the person would get what you mean, but you've got to establish the context first. So you can't just do it anytime. So <laughs> figuring out what words you can shorten based on the context. And also it's not just any context, it's specific context. And figuring that out consciously is a fool's errand because there's too many things. It's constantly, uh, you know, all over the place in say the English language and my native language, I use abbreviations or turns of phrases or, uh, you know, I will make a joke that only fit in the context as it, you know, is. And of course, everybody's already exploring the edges of that uh, when they're native speakers and finding new ways. It's what comedians do. It's like, you know, you find ways to use the language uh, in and abbreviate the language. Um, and this, you know, in English, particularly people abbreviate all the time and it's funny and like new abbreviations come out. So this isn't just as straightforward as like, it's a formula. Some things can be abbreviated and some things can't. Yeah, sure, mayo can be shortened to may, but that's like a really common one that comes up all the time. And, um, you know, so that one's fairly easy, but most of them aren't that easy. There's a lot, there's a thing that happens a lot where you'll have two, two character words and they'll change to um, two characters to indicate those two words. So, um, nan gong yi shi. Uh, sorry, nan gong yi shi means the male changing room. And just yesterday, I was at the gym and the sauna was, um, the settings were locked on the sauna and I couldn't turn the temperature up on it. And it was like set at five degrees. And so uh, it obviously wasn't hot. So I, I went out to the um, uh, woman working at the front desk and said like, hey, the sauna's not working. Can somebody go in and uh, unlock the settings? And she said on her WeChat, she called somebody and she said, um, uh, and uh, so she said, she didn't say, so change close room gets shortened to, but it's not always the first two characters. Sometimes it's one character from the first word and it's one character from the second word. And which one is it? Is it the first of both or is it the second of both or is it the first of the first and the last of the second? You know, it's like there's not, it's not consistent. So the answer of when you can do that and when you can't is it varies by situation and just let your un un unconscious mind naturally sort that stuff out. Um, you know, I wish it were as easy as a list, but you know, considering that everything about it depends on the context surrounding it, um, it's the kind of thing that you're just going to need to see when you have the different um, context that you see watching TV shows, movies, reading books, reading articles and all that. And what happens is that your unconscious mind keeps processing this input, keeps processing the mass, mass input. And then when you are in a similar situation to what you have uh, inputted before, your unconscious mind goes, yep, seen that before, send it to the conscious mind, right? And then, but knowing why that happened or how it figured it out 
and trying to explain it, that's at a level, it's like not, it's a grammar on steroids, the like grammar points on steroids. Because a grammar point is at least recognizing a universal pattern um, that happens so much that it's worth pointing out. But in the case of when can you abbreviate certain words, it's not like, it may be universal, but it's universal to the sense of like, you can abbreviate like this when you've already established your uh, sense of humility to a person who is of a higher uh, stature than you in society. And then you could consider abbreviating this word. Uh, you know, it's like the level of analysis gets super um, comprehensive and, and it just, it's your unconscious mind is already doing it. Your unconscious mind already is telling you, Hey, I, I saw this in a TV show once there was a guy who was, you know, working for a boss and, you know, he, the boss was definitely higher than him in terms of social status. So he ended up, you know, establishing his lower status and then saying something. You know, it's like all that thinking about it and your unconscious mind already knows. So it's like, again, I know that in William's case, he's, he is uh, an academic, he's a doctor, uh, and he um, is doing research on morphemes and the, uh, comparing them across different languages. And that is you know, obviously that's why you're looking into it at this level. But I guess what I would say is that for anybody who is not doing that, which is obviously most people in the course, you don't need to worry about it at that level because your unconscious mind already figures it out. And uh, as for William, I mean, like, that's not the level of analysis that we'll, you know, go into anytime soon because it's just too deep. It's too uh, articulate and your unconscious mind already knows anyway. So, um, yeah. Now, for the second part of the question, he was asking about the and the short answer is that, I mean, yeah, it does sort of mean that would be so really uninteresting. But let's look at the longer context of the two sentences, you know, that come before it. So the first sentence, Right. So I believe beauty divides into many types. Because everyone has their own special characteristics, everyone can be beautiful. In the second sentence, So, if everyone on the planet looked alike, there would be so much lack of meaning. means uninteresting or boring, but it literally means no meaning, lack of meaning, right? So... There would be so much because you'd go to different places and in contrast to the, how the world really is, you know, you go to these different places and everywhere has interesting things because everyone's different and everyone looks different and everyone has different opinions and blah, blah, blah. Embrace the difference. Um, and uh, if everybody looked the same, then all that is, all, there was so much of it before. There was so duo of it before. Now is Right. So that's kind of how it works. And again, that's it sort of illustrates what I was getting at in the first half of my response, which is that, you know, uh, what they're conceptualizing here is they're saying, you know, I believe beauty divides into several types is a very philosophical point they're making. And everybody has their own special characteristics. So everyone could be beautiful. Uh, and if everybody looked the same, then there would be so much lack of meaning in the world. And, uh, you know, I guess saying much lack is kind of weird and contradictory, but it's, again, it's because they've made their 
context clear, it makes perfect sense to me. So, uh, yeah, the answer is kind of like, yes, it does, but it's because it fits into that context. Next, a question from Julie Henschel-Lund on level 16 complete. I saw a video somewhere, maybe the pronunciation mastery, but the one where you describe how to combine different subdecks in Anki. I would like to make the pronunciation mastery into just one deck. Do you have an idea where I can find it? Uh, that is in the unit eight review at timestamp 506. So I explain how to turn all of the different decks you get in pronunci pronunciation mastery all into one deck because uh, you don't need to have them all separate. Uh, that's where you find that. Now, she says, on a side note, I'm in love with Mandarin Blueprint. This is the best Mandarin learning platform out there. So a huge thanks to you guys. And I would also love to be in one of your case studies soon to share my progress so far. Well, we'd love to have you, Julie. Uh, it'd be great. You've left so many excellent comments. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's great to have you on the course. Whenever somebody contributes as much as you do, it's like, my feeling is, yeah, sure, you know, we've provided this uh, blueprint for you, but you provide a lot of value to us as well. So we would love to have you on a case study. Uh, we would be honored. William Beeman, again, he's responding to another part of the Weigoren uh, Kanjongguo. He says, uh, this is this is interesting because uh, it was that sentence I actually mentioned before, 我认为每分很多种. So this is what he said. One more question. In the sentence, 我认为每分很多种. Reading it, I thought that 每分 meant something like beautiful parts or some such with the sense for the sentence that I think that beauty has many forms aspects. But it seems that Mei Fen can also be translated as U.S. penny or coin. It could, yeah. In, the, in that case, it would be Mei Fen, fourth term. Am I segmenting the sentence sentence correctly? Is this, is this some usage that is colloquial? I understand why you wanted to break the sentence down that way because you have two one-character words in a row uh, which is, you know, doesn't happen that much. So, may. Uh, so you're establishing may as the object, right? I subject renwei think may beauty. Fen divides handojong many types. So I think beauty divides into many types. Now, um, that's how you break up the sentence. So therefore, it's not may fen meaning American penny. But then he said. Thanks, in response to when I told him how to break it up. He said, ah, once again, I have misread the sentence because may. Fen is, the, is in fact a noun, meaning American penny. I didn't get that fen in this sentence is actually a verb, right? And actually, again, it's may fen if it's an American penny. This is a great example uh, for my work on morphemic flexibility. It seems that the sentence could be read, I think that American pennies have many types, Lincoln head, Indian head, or am I really stretching it? Yeah, it could not mean that. And here's why. Because if it were mei fen, as in American penny, it's missing a verb, right? So, wo renwei mei fen. So that's not um, saying, like, so in the sentence, wo renwei mei fen hen duozhong, then we have mei is the object, fen is the verb. So fen serves as the verb in, the, in this context, which allows for... Um, the sentence to make sense. However, if it was wo renwei mei fen, as in American pennies, I think American pennies, han dojong, many types, there's no verb. There's What about um, American pennies? So you would have to add in yo. So wo renwei mei fen, yo han dojong, right? So in fact, if you had yo there, you can be sure that it means mei fen and not beauty divides, right? Because 
if it were beauty divides, then you'd have two verbs in a row. You'd have beauty divides has. Doesn't make sense. Grammatically incorrect. So if the sentence is 我认为美分很多种, for sure it is not American Penny. And if the sentence is 我认为美分有很多种, for sure it is American Penny because it grammatically wouldn't make sense with one or the other. So, um, yeah, so basically, this sentence could not be translated two ways. Um, so despite, I, I know that you're, you're like, oh, maybe this means it is, um, there's some morphetic flexibility, as you said. But in this case, because uh, of the missing verb, if it were American Penny, you can be sure that um, it's not American Penny. Next, we have Julie Henschel on It's a Word for May. Is there a reason for the double ren in the sentence, ren ren do ai mei? Is it the same as renmen? No. So ren ren, just whenever you double up a uh, noun like that, it's saying all of that noun, right? So ren is a person, ren ren is everyone, all people, right? So it's a, this statement is, and I mean, you could also say mei ren, that's fine. Mei ren do ai mei is fine. But ren ren do ai mei is a little bit, sounds a little bit more poetic, I think. You know, it's like sort of all people love beauty. So uh, whenever you see that sort of two nouns duplicated, and this is in our article about duplicated uh, words. So words that have the same two characters, uh, and there's three different types, but that's in our, um, you can find that in the sidebar related to the phase two, or it's phase two or phase three, but either way, you can find it in the sidebar of the course. William Beeman on Fumo. Hi guys, could you go over the phrase 这份爱 太过分? A little. I get the general meaning, but it looks like fun is being used as some kind of a measure word for I, but I'm not sure, and I seem to have missed a beat in understanding tai guo fen, which I think is too much, since fen and fen seem to be variants of each other. Working out this relationship would be very helpful. Sorry if I'm being obtuse. No, not at all. Zhuo fen ai, tai guo fen. So this is a uh, story about how parents have to balance their love for their uh, for their children and their desire to keep them safe with their need to go out and explore the world and you know take risks uh, in order to grow up so you know if you're if you love your kids and that love which you're measuring in this case chofen i right so you have love for your wife you have love for your friends you have love for your kids and so you could say that the chinese conceptualize that as portions so fun you know, fen cai. Fen is also the character, uh, the measure word for cai, like a, a portion of food. And so you can also have a portion of love. So if your portion of love for your kids is tai guo fen, too over the top. So guo fen is a word. It's a word meaning overly. So too over the top or overly or over the top. So zhe fen ai, tai guo fen. And then it, it the sentence continues. Uh, you can actually end up hurting the child if you're overly loving and you're overly keeping them safe because, you know, helicopter parenting, right? And so um, that's basically the relationship. In this case, fen uh, is a word, so it's not related to the measure word for I. So that's the uh, explanation there. Alex Sumray on Vocab Unlocked from Fu. He says, I take it Furen is just a more formal, possibly polite way of saying Tai Tai. Yeah, I mean, it's like saying Madam. It is a bit more formal. Uh, and... Um, you know, it's usually a term of respect. Tai Tai is also relatively formal, 
But um, Furen doesn't really ever... I can't think of a context where it means wife specifically. It can kind of mean like Mrs. or Ms. in the sense, but it's very respectful. It's like madam. I think it's closest to the word madam. Uh, so, you know, madam secretary, you know, whatever, that type of idea. Whereas tai tai can mean Mrs., but it can also mean like my wife. You know, what the tai tai would mean my wife, right? So, um, yeah, that's kind of the difference there. And yes, Furen is indeed quite formal. Lucy Haleon, it's a word for Deanne. Would it be okay to make the character associate to the word order rather than dot? Well, I mean, it means both. So Deanne Tai means to order food. You know, um, Deanne, why my means to order takeout or order delivery. Um, and so, uh, whereas, but it can also mean dot. Like it's, it's literally a decimal point uh, is uh, like, you know, E Deanne Wu is 1.5. Um, Mandarin Blueprint Dian, come. You know, like you say, if you see a dot, it's literally pronounced Dian. Uh, so that's also true. Um, EDR means like one dot or one bit. So it can also mean kind of bit or small amount. And then Dian Tai is like for uh, ordering something. And so, yeah, you can associate it with order if you want. They're both common. Um, either one. I would say the dot slash little bit usage is a bit more common in day to day life, but still, you're going to have to order things a lot. So, um, Either one works. Michaela Ellison on It's a Word for Zai, meaning again. A couple questions about usage. Could I add Ling into the first sentence? So, 我想再吃另一个这种面包. Also, I used to say 请再说一次 to my Chinese teacher, and she, she told me to say 再说一遍. I never really understood why. What's the difference? Okay, so let's take these one at a time. 我想再吃另一个这种面包. I think it would be unnecessary. I, I look at that and I don't see why it would have to be a problem. It feels awkward to me though. And that's, so that's the the grammar feeling, right? Um, it seems like you would use one or the other. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's also weird that you've got two measure words. We've got, but it, it, it can, it can work. Yeah, no, 另一个这种面包 is actually okay, but to say 再吃另一个这种面包, it's one of those things where I can't technically see why it's wrong. It just feels weird. It feels like you would just say 我想再吃一个这种面包 or 再吃这种面包, either way. Uh, but having the 另一个, it just seems like you're overemphasizing it because uh, you're already saying 再, which means again. And so I will again eat another. It feels, you know unnecessary to say both again and another, but I can't say for sure why it is that way. Um, now, 再说一次 versus 再说一遍. So 一次 and 一遍, what's the difference? Well, 一遍 means a, like a full time. So they both mean a time, right? So like, or 两次 would mean 两, two times, or uh, 两遍 means two times. The only major difference between them is that 遍 means completely like one time completely so uh means i read that book one time entirely i read the whole book for sure doesn't mean i finished the entire book it probably means i didn't i probably just read it a little bit but i didn't uh maybe i read it one day and then decided i didn't want to read the whole thing and so i uh, so that's the difference. They both mean a time. Now, 
I can see how your Chinese teacher is saying that "再说一遍" uh, is a little bit more accurate because you're saying "say it again" it's in its entirety, right? That's what the "一遍" gets across. Uh, that said, though, um, I don't agree that you can't say "请再说一次." You can definitely say that. I've said people say that all the time. So uh, I think she's just being trying to make sure that you're being accurate. Um, but I've, I hear people say "再说一次." That definitely is a thing. So, uh, and you know, there's always dialectical stuff. Sometimes, maybe in the region that your teacher is from, they always say "再说一遍." And I would say again, if you want to be technical, I think "再说一遍" is a little bit more uh, accurate. But, um, like, because "it's" is a little broader, because it can mean that you did something in its entirety. It just, especially when you're talking about like saying a sentence, right? It's like it's not that much to say the whole thing again. If you said a sentence and then you say uh, they're not going to think, well, what, which part of the sentence do you mean? Do you mean it's in its entirety? Like, they no, they're just going to say the whole sentence again. So I don't really agree with your teacher that you shouldn't say, but uh, I would agree that technically speaking, is a more accurate because they are going to say it in its entirety. Michaela Ellison on It's a Word for Zai. Thanks, that makes sense. So if I said, 我想再吃这种面包, does that simply mean I want to eat this type of bread again at some point in the future, but not necessarily right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, so it could be. Yeah, you know, you might just say, 以后我想再吃这种面包. That would be a way of saying I want to eat this again. Uh, but uh, it could also mean right now. Uh, so yeah, it could be either way. Um, but I would say, yeah, if you wanted to be very clear, as usual with language, you know, there's almost always a way to make it more articulate or clearer by adding a word or, you know, making, establishing yourself uh, in the context more clearly. Uh, but again, you know, 我想再吃这种面包, you know, I think that that's, uh, it could be either depending on the context. But yeah, if you added just, if you just put 以后 right at the beginning. Uh, that's the way of using iho that means like in the future as opposed to just after, although, you know, after and in the future are related as concepts. But uh, if you just said iho, 我想再吃这种面包, that would be uh, clearer that you mean someday as opposed to, um, you know, right now. William Beeman on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Shui Guo. Hi, in 这个小男孩从不吃水果和菜,只吃肉. It seems that lai, as in 从来不, versus 从不, was omitted slash is allowed to be omitted to give the meaning never. Is this generally permissible, or is 从不 the same as 从来不? Yeah, I mean, that 从不 just has, it, it feels a little bit more, uh, it, yeah, it's really just an abbreviation, you know, 从不 versus 从来不, because 从来 means from the beginning, you know, always, so 从来不 means always not. Right, um, and uh, when you say "tong lai bu," what you mean is also "I don't" in general. Uh, whereas "tong lai mei," "tong lai mei" would mean uh, "I never have," but I'm not opposed to it. Whereas "tong lai bu" is "I never have" and "I don't." Right, and the way you could figure that out is that "bu" is for present and future, and then so "tong lai" is. Uh, Meaning always, so 从来, always, 不, don't eat fruit, right? So, and it's kind of like 
by saying bu, you're establishing it's also the present and the future. So tong lai establishes everything before, or tong in the abbreviation, and then bu establishes now and into the future. So that means I never did it in the past and I never do it now. Whereas uh, tong lai mei uh, is more like I never have, but I, you know, it doesn't mean I won't now. It just means I've never done it. Um, so I've never, wo tong lai mei. I've never uh, skydived, uh, but, you know, maybe I will. Uh, my uncle has skydived probably a thousand times in his life, so maybe I'll go skydiving with him someday. Uh, so who knows? But Tongbu, um, yeah, it's just an abbreviation. Uh, I don't think that there's anything more to say about it. I don't, at least I'm unaware if there's a reason why you shouldn't abbreviate in certain situations. Uh, as per usual, uh, just like I was saying to Lucy in the previous one, if you say tong lai bu, you increase your likelihood of being understood. Uh, but again, if your pronunciation's great, you know, if you say, they'll, you'll be understood. But you just got to make sure you really tong bu, you know, tong lai bu, right? Either way. But I can say that for beginning learners, if you're going to articulate more characters, you're more likely to be understood. So that would be my recommendation. Lucy Haley on It's a Word for Mian. Wait, so does it mean face-to-face? -face? Or it means face-to-face, -face, noodles, face, and surface? Ha ha ha. Well, yeah, so Mian is actually, uh, was two separate characters um, in traditional Chinese, and when it was simplified, those two characters became one character. So it has a lot of meanings. And it can be face-to-face, -face, it can be noodles. Um, the thing about it being noodles is it's not that, like, it's a one-character word that means noodles. That's not so hard to remember. One-character word nouns are, like, the easiest words to uh, memorize top-down, right? It's just like, oh, yeah, that's some mian over there. And then you'll eat mian one day, and then a Chinese person will be like, yeah, how do you like that mian, right? It's just, it doesn't take very long for your senses and your um, understanding of a one-character noun to get into place. That's why... Your focus, you know, when it comes to acquisition should be more on verbs and adjectives and stuff because nouns come pretty easily, especially if you do something like go around your house and put post-it notes on nouns and whatever. So um, there's lots of situations there. Now, um, <clears throat> so therefore, the mian, meaning the surface of something, the face of something, uh, or face-to-face, -face, you know, jian mian means to see face-to-face. -face. Uh, and so, you know, it can mean all those things. Mian is a very dynamic character. We actually made a uh, a video back in 2017 about Mian that you can find on our uh, YouTube page. I bet if you searched Mandarin Blueprint Mian uh, on our YouTube page, you'd find it. And we even said in that video, we're like, by the way, this also means noodles, but here are all the other meanings of it. <laughs> we didn't focus too much on the noodle side. Billy Blithersonson <laughs> on new vocabulary unlocked Dian Cai. 有的人会去中国饭店. What is the use of de in this sentence? Is it to make yo ren a plural? Yeah, so yo de means some. Yo de dong xi. Yo de ren. Uh, yo de shui guo. Right? Like, you know, you can put any noun there and it means some of that noun. So, uh, yeah, it's that simple. Yo de ren is some people. Michaela Ellison on new vocabulary unlocked. I don't see it here, but in the Anki deck, um, had a short conversation with the question. This is translated as, can you speak English with her? I have typically heard 会 used in this context of 可以. 
this implies ye has also the meaning of able to do something, or is it just certain context? Yeah, so the reason we translate it is, can you speak English with her, um, is that if you said, ma, you're not asking, do you, are you able to speak English? You're saying, like, basically, it's like, will you please speak English? Could you speak English with her, please? Um, you're speaking to her in Chinese. She doesn't speak Chinese very well. I know you speak English, so could you speak English with her, please? Right? It's, it's, it's a question that is not asking about their ability. You already know their ability. Like, you wouldn't say this to somebody who you didn't know already is able to speak English. So you're asking this question in, like, you know from it being kui that they're asking, can you speak English because this other person doesn't understand your language very well, but doesn't understand Chinese very well, right? So uh, that's the answer there. All right, the final question before we get into the mnemonic scene shares is from Robert Carver on Vocab Unlocked from Yuan. I'm having trouble grasping the differences between Yuan Lai, Yuan Yo, Yuan Ben, and Ben Lai. Can you give a few more examples of how these differ? Well, Robert, uh, <laughs> the differences between these are subtle and many, so uh, I will go through them. First of all, I just wanted to mention that the one of these four that doesn't need to be considered is Yuan Yo, because Yuanyo just means like native to something originally has, right? So, for example, on here's how you can remember Yuanyo. Uh, any apps that your phone has when you take it out of the box that are native to the phone. It's Yuanyo, the app, right? By the way, I always say app here, not app <laughs> in China. So um, that's sort of like just native to something, something it has originally um, you know, that's really what that's about. And usually it, it applies to objects. Um, if you're talking about people and you want to say that it's something they naturally have, you would say, uh, or which basically means like, um, not, yeah. So or uh, and that basically just means like natural of the, you know, tian of nature, you know, it's like of the sky, right? Whatever you want to see, how you want to think of it. But it's like something that you just naturally have. Uh, but when it comes to objects or whatever, uh, especially in software, it's like this is a native thing. So yuan yo, we can leave out for now. And actually, the main comparison is between yuan lai and ben lai. So let's compare those two first. So in terms of parts of speech, ben lai is usually an adverb. Whereas yuan lai can be an adverb, adjective, or a noun. And so when they're used as adverbs too, they're a little bit different. So let's let's talk about ben lai first. So one way to use ben lai as an adverb is to indicate that your plans have changed. Uh, so you originally wanted to, or was going to, or should have done something, but now things have changed. So 计划改变了。我们本来想看书,现在要去看电影了。so this is uh, where you're really articulating how things have changed. Now, we've talked before about how if you just said, uh, because you have the l there, you know that this must be a change of some sort. And when you use ben lai in this way, you're being very explicit about this change. So this is the original thing you wanted to do. Right, so now that's changed, and we want to go watch the movie. Uh, 我本来想买那栋房子, I originally wanted to buy uh, that house, but the owner um, 
is raising the price. So the, that was the original thing I wanted to do. And so Ben Lai Xiang. So that's the Ben Lai is the uh, uh, adverb originally wanted to buy that house. And so that's how that works. Now, you can also use Ben Lai with Jiu to indicate that something was supposed to happen or uh, it goes without saying. So how about this one? It goes without saying that learning Chinese requires daily study. Zhichang is a great word for meaning daily. Basically, your daily ordinary or your, your sun ordinary or date ordinary. Basically, it's a daily activity. Um, so, yeah, of course, it goes without saying you got to study Chinese every day if you want to if you want to learn it. Laoban. The boss is supposed to thoroughly prepare the workers' tasks. So it's just like, that's what you're supposed to do, right? Or there's this, if you want to look up a Chris Rock comedy bit, uh, he talks about people saying like, you know, oh, I, um, I take care of my kids. And they're like saying about it like they're proud. And he's like, that's what you're supposed to do. You know, so like, you're supposed to take care of your kids. Well, you're acting proud about it. It's a funny bit. Uh, so just like, I guess you could maybe look up Chris Rock. That's what you're supposed to do. And you'd probably find it uh, on YouTube. So like, that's that feeling of like, you know, that's what you're, that's what you're supposed to do anyway. Uh, you can also use it in this Ben Lai Zhou way that's kind of expressing that you're, you're giving a tone, stressing your tone, you're giving an opinion. Uh, and it's usually rhetorically. So for example, Harry. Harry's a good guy. How is it that you still don't want to go on a date with him? Uh, so yeah, uh, that's kind of how you use Ben Lai as an adverb. Now, when Yuan Lai is used in an adverb, it, it one of its usages is to indicate like, oh, it turns out uh, you're eating something, you're eating some food that somebody made, right? So, uh, and... You didn't realize that the person you're with made it. So you say, It turns out you made it. I thought it was Xiao Wang. Uh, Xiao Wang. That idea that, like, it turns out, oh, it was you. Like, originally it was this. I thought it was this, but it originally it was this. Uh, you know, knocking on, somebody's knocking on the door and you're worried. It's like, who's that? Is it a burglar? Is it somebody trying to hurt me? And then you open the door. Oh, somebody you know and are comfortable with, right? Um, Another example from one of our stories in level, um, level, or sorry, phase five. It turns out the beautiful woman was testing the man and he did very well. And then, so in that story, the conceit of the story is this, that, that this woman, uh, she can either during the daytime look beautiful and at nighttime look like a witch or at at the daytime look like a witch and at nighttime look beautiful. And so she says to the, the man, after you make your choice of whether it's daytime or nighttime that I'm beautiful, then we'll get married. It's sort of a silly fairy tale like story. And then the man goes, I'm not going to choose because you should be able to choose for yourself what you um, look like. And so turns out she was testing him. And then actually, so like, you know, so she'll just be beautiful all the time because he passed the test. Right. And so anyway, so, <laughs> so yeah, so that's like an example of using yuan lai 
uh, to mean like it turns out. And there are situations where you analyze can be used as an adverb to mean originally or formerly uh, in um, conjunction with ben lai. But when it means that it, 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 you know, you'll get it through context when they can be used in the same place. I'm, I'm trying to emphasize where you don't use them in the same place. So uh, now you can also use yuan lai as uh, before a noun as an adjective, and then it means original or formal. So, We still live in the original place. Right? So, this would be something you'd say to somebody who uh, hasn't seen you for years or something, and then you just say, uh, Or you're passing by a house you used to live in, and you say, Right? So, it's like, the original place. So it's an adjective uh, um, modifying a noun. You would not use ben lai in this context. Yuan lai de di fang, yuan lai de jia, yuan lai de fan guan. Just show you yuan lai jing li de guan li de fan guan. And then the final usage of yuan lai is to, um, it can mean the past or long, long ago, right? So here's a sentence from level 54. 这里在原来, so in the past or located in ancient times or whatever. Uh, uh, in the past, this place was a military stronghold. Uh, actually, if it was in this case, it would be 要塞, uh, not 塞. 塞, it's 塞 when it means um, to stuff something in, but when it's a stronghold, it's 塞. And then so 原本 which is the third, the final one here. For the most part, it's more it's just a formal version of yuan lai. However, it can be used, or sorry, when it's used as an adverb, but you can also use it to indicate that you thoroughly from beginning to end did something, and you'll often double it up, which is a thing that you'll see in Chinese all the time. So if you have a word, a two-character word that's like A B, you can go A A B B to just indicate, just add emphasis. And if it's a one-character word, you can say uh, the character twice, so man means slow. Man man means slowly or like you know quite slow, right? So man man do, man man da zo very slowly, and so that's a one character word that gets doubled up. But if you have a two character word, it would, and you can't do this with all words, but some two character words you say yuan yuan uh yuan ben ben yuan yuan ben ben de ta ba fa shang de shi yuan yuan ben ben de gao su le wo. 她把发生的事原原本本地告诉了我。She told me everything that happened from top to bottom, right? So the 原原本本 indicates that from the beginning to the end, like I told you thoroughly everything that happened, right? So um, that's an example where it's used differently than the other, than 原来. But other than that, if you see lots of example sentences with it, you know, when you get good at Chinese, like, and you search for example sentences, you can tell whether something is a written word or a spoken word, because you search for example sentences and all the other words are all written words. So when I looked up yuan ben, I was like, yep, all these example sentences are uh, more formal. And so, yeah, that, hopefully that's a good enough answer there for you, uh, Robert. And as usual, you don't really need to spend all this time thinking about it too much, but Sure, you can uh, understand those differences between these adverbs, and that will help you uh, a little bit moving forward. But still, what will help you the most is just to keep reading. Finally, we will move on to the movie scene shares, the full mnemonic scenes to represent 
the different uh, characters in the course using the Hanzi movie method. First, we have Will R on make a movie for Xue, which means to study or learn. The actor is Saddam Hussein for Xu. Uh, the set is the E set in the kitchen, which is the second tone for kitchen. The props are Sonic the Hedgehog, the King, the Burger King's mascot, and Macaulay Culkin, which is the uh, child component. Saddam is in the E set kitchen. Saddam Hussein wants to study how to make a WMD. <laughs> Macaulay Culkin is hired there to help Saddam craft this new weapon out of household objects. Suddenly, Sonic the Hedgehog and the King rush in to oppose Saddam's plans. Sonic and the King says, we did some study of our own and we learned where you were hiding, Saddam. Macaulay Culkin says to Saddam, you should have studied Xue how to beat fictional heroes first. I like it. I think this is uh, pretty clear. Just make sure that you've got a very clear representation of Saddam reading a book and then maybe while Sonic and the King are saying, we did some study of our own, they're flashing back in a thought bubble to their moments of study so that you actually visualize the, like, turning the pages, taking notes, like, doing the studying stuff. That Once you have that all down, I think it's good. Will R on make a movie for Hai children. So the keyword is Hai uh, children. The actor is the H, male actor, the AI set. The room within the set is the kitchen because it's second tone. And the props are Macaulay Culkin and the Dirty Dozen, because that's the right side component can mean dozen. H actor is in the AI's kitchen. Macaulay Culkin is there misbehaving. The H actor says, why don't you get out the dining hall and go and play the other with the other children outside? Macaulay Culkin says, what other children? The H actor says, those children over there. The H actor points to the Dirty Dozen doing military training outside the window. Macaulay Culkin says, they're not children, they're the Dirty Dozen. The H actor says, oh right, I forgot. Children don't play outside anymore. Okay, reference to pandemic times, I guess. Well, I suppose that'd be okay. I, I think that what you could do is have the Dirty Dozen, uh, instead of having it end with like children don't play outside anymore, it's not really visual, is just have Macaulay Culkin go, they're not children. And then after he says that, they all, while continuing to do their exercises, transform into ch child versions of themselves. Maybe they're still wearing the same clothes, but they just become children. That would show contrast, and it would be very clear they went from adults to being children. Uh, I think that would be good. Robert Carver on Make a Movie for High. Hulk Hogan is in the bedroom of my AI set, trying to rescue Mother Teresa from the clutches of Jabba the Hutt. Nice. Jabba, being part slug, is allergic to salt, so Hulk fills a water balloon with seawater and throws it at him. It has a small effect, but Jabba just laughs. That's when Mother Teresa rolls her eyes at Hulk's poor rescue attempt, then puts her hands together in prayer, and, and the floor instantly transforms into the sea, swallowing a writhing Jabba as the other two swim to the safety of the floating bed. I love this scene, it's great. All the props have a very important role. Um, it makes sense that the sea, uh, because it is salt water, and that's one of the characteristics of the sea, uh, is what the Hulk uses. Uh, so this is great. And Jabba the Hutt, you know, being a slug and slugs having problems with salt. What you're doing, Robert, and it's clear that you're in the intermediate course and that you're doing quite well, is that you 
are recognizing that all the props, oh, you're even having Mother Teresa pray. Of course she would, right? All the props do what you expect them to do, right? And um, so, yeah, I love it. Great stuff. Will R on Make a Movie for Huo, which means fire. Actor, Mr. Hanky, set O. Room within the set, the living room for a third tone. Props are uh, the drop, the slender man, the samurai sword, and the ghost rider. So, okay, that's interesting. I wonder why the ghost rider is the... I guess that's what he'll end up having as the prop. Because obviously the ghost rider is the full character that's being learned here. But, you know, and actually, really, you don't need the samurai sword with this. I guess you could say a drop and a samurai sword uh, are on the two sides of Huo. So anyway, Mr. Hanky is at the O-set living room. Slenderman appears to battle Mr. Hanky. Mr. Hanky drops a magic drop on the floor and fire springs up from it. Ghost Rider comes out of the fire. Ghost Rider slashes Slenderman away with his samurai sword on fire. Slenderman disappears into a puff of fire. Mr. Hanky says to Ghost Rider, boy, you are on fire. <laughs> I like it. I mean, obviously Will added in the prop for this character in the scene to learn the character, which is a little bit unorthodox, but it's also, uh, it really gets across the point of fire. I mean, like, there's no doubt that this scene means fire. No, no question. So, good stuff. Will R on Make a Movie for Dung, which means lamp, or just like, it's kind of lights in general. Actor is the D actor, ENG set at the front door, and we have the ghost rider and the nail as the props. So the D actor is at the front door of the ENG set, D actor hears a knock on the door, answers it, and ghost rider is there. Ghost rider says, the front door looks kind of dull. Give me any item and I'll turn it into a fiery lamp for you to place at your door. D gives Ghost Rider a nail, and Ghost Rider with a big puff of fire, he turns the nail into a fiery lamp. The actor says, okay, I now have a lamp to light this front door at night. Cool, cool, nice. Clear enough, Ghost Rider is very visually uh, awesome when he hands the nail, make it a big old nail, feel it in your hands so that you can remember it, and then uh, I like it, it's awesome. Chris N on Make a Movie for Sure, which means history. The Rolling Stones mouth is riding a lawnmower and is using it to run over my SH actor. Uh, and I suppose it's in the bedroom. The mouth is yelling, your history. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. I, I think that um, you could add something here, like after he goes under the lawnmower uh, and saying your history, it literally is a... Uh, Instead of, you know, being ground up in the lawnmower, he comes out the other side as a history book. <laughs> you know, uh, that could be, um, that could be funny. It's like, your history, and he's actually literally a history book. That'd be funny. So just to make it even a little bit more clear. Awesome. Rick Santos on Make a Movie for Shung. Seems like a soldier during flag ceremony, singing bravely his national anthem without any background music. He makes up for it by striking the flagpole with a small stick with the beat in his heart singing with a loud voice, right? So acapella singing, sure, it's a good way to represent voice. You know, soldier in a flag, him having great uh, reverence for the flag makes sense. And of course, there's that one stroke in the middle of the flag at the bottom, which is the stick he's using to create the beat. Perfect. I like it. Will R on Make a Movie for Jai, which means narrow. And he says, note, for this scene, I use an Acme Joke Factory portable hole 
as a prop from the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Watch this video to know what it is. So if you've seen Roger Rabbit or if you haven't seen it, he left the YouTube link below in the show notes. So the keyword is Jai, narrow. The actor is a ZH actor. The set is the AI set and it's in the living room because it's third tone. And uh, the props are the Acme Joke Factory portable hole and a Native American because Ja can mean the first. So the first people in America, right? ZH at AI's living room. So the ZH actor in the AI set living room. The Native American rushes in and says to the ZH actor, can you hide me? People are coming to get me. The ZH actor grabs an Acme Joke Factory portable hole and puts it into the wall. The ZH actor says, squeeze through that narrow hole. The Native American squeezes through the hole and says, this is indeed narrow. And so like when he's going in there, just make sure he's like yeah, struggling to get through because it's so narrow. The ZH actor takes the Acme Joke Factory portable hole off the wall and the Native American is hidden from danger now inside the wall. The ZH actor says to himself, I did a good job in a narrow amount of time. Sure, sure. I th there's this scene in Inception where um, the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is running through the streets of Mombasa and like he's trying to escape these guys who are pursuing him. And it's just like a dream. He's like in this narrow uh, passage trying to force himself through and he's stuck and the guys are pursuing him. So like, is he going to get through? And then later in the movie, it's like um, sort of, implied that maybe that was a part of the dream um but anyway because it is a very dream-like thing like i'm in, i'm someone's chasing me and i'm in a narrow hole and i can't move like it's a like very dream-like uh so maybe when the native american is trying to get inside the wall you have a similar type of thing happening will r on make a movie for tsiung which means emotion so this qi actor in the eng set which you know the e drops to create tsiung and then the kitchen uh is for second tone then we have the props as the left side component the data from star trek tng uh and tsiung the nurse in cyan clothes right yeah the nurses do wear those cyan clothes a lot okay qi actor in the eng kitchen Data comes along and says to QI, I wish to feel human emotion. QI actor calls over a nurse to come over to the kitchen and the nurse operates on Data. So he feels emotion. The QI actor looks at how happy Data is and says, this is so emotional. Sure. Yeah, I like it. There's, you know, clear, uh, you know, elements to this that make it um, an emotional scene. And uh, yeah, great. Chris N on make a movie for Ren. Chuck Norris and Captain America, my soldier, are sparring in my set. Chuck wins the match by bringing a sword down against Captain America's head. My R actor steps in and says, you've done well, so I will assign this dangerous mission to you. So, okay, because um, this, of course, means assign. So I guess you could maybe have a bit of a montage before this starts where the R actor is showing a map and they're like explaining the mission and they're you know chuck norris and and captain america are both paying close attention and uh you know you're visualizing that as he's explaining it there's like a thought bubble and he's showing like you know okay a guy coming in on a parachute and he's like moving through stealthily and it's like clearly a mission right mission impossible style and then after that little montage then they fight which makes it clear in your mind that it's like okay this is um they're fighting to get assigned to the mission. And at the end, when Chuck Norris wins, he goes, okay, I assign you to the mission, go. And then Chuck Norris takes off. I think that would make it a little bit clearer, and then uh, you'll have less of a, an issue. 
George Lorer on Make a Movie for D, which is the character for ordinal numbers, like first, second, third, fourth. My DI actor stands together with Robin Hood in the backyard of my childhood home. So he's the archer in the bottom section. The DI actor with her samurai sword, Robin with his bow and arrows. They have to get through this bamboo thicket in front of them. Robin commands, we do that alternately. You take the one, I take the two, and then you take the three, and me with the four, and so on. So nice. Yeah, I think that that's probably cool. Like, um, let's see here. They have to get through this bamboo thicket in front of them. So I guess their, their challenge is just getting through the bamboo thicket, which is the top prop. And, uh, and they're using their bow and arrow and samurai sword and going, you know, one, two, three, four. First, second, third, fourth. Clear enough. Will R on make a movie for Xiang, meaning elephant. The actor is the XI actor. The set is the ANG set. And the room within the set is the toilet uh, or the bathroom. So the props are the rope on top, the mouth, and Miss Piggy. Uh, so, yeah, because the bottom component uh, is the ancient character for pig. So Miss Piggy from the Muppets, nice. All right, the CI actor is at the ANG's bathroom. The XI actor walks in to see the mouth, tying Miss Piggy up with a rope. Wow, okay, nice. The mouth says, what you gonna do to stop me? You got an elephant or something? Ha ha. XI actor calls her pet elephant along and her pet elephant tosses the mouth into orbit using its trunk. The XI actor unties Miss Piggy from the rope and Miss Piggy says with a loving voice, my, that's a fine elephant. Nice. Xiang is Stampy the Elephant, which I guess is, uh, Stampy the Elephant must, um, be a particular elephant from, oh yeah, from, uh, The Simpsons, right, yeah. I think he actually left a, um, a YouTube link as well. Awesome. Well, this is great stuff this, this week, you guys. What excellent questions, as always. Remember, we're going to be switching the course to the new format. Look out for your in your email inbox for our announcements about that. And thank you, as always, for listening to the Mandarin Blueprint podcast. Check out mandarinblueprint.com to learn how you can also, like these wonderful people, learn Mandarin faster than ever. See you next time.